Here we are. Welcome back. So, I know it's been a hot minute since I've uploaded any podcasts. There's kind of a reason for that. I wanted to give you guys enough podcasts to binge listen to. Because mortuary school's starting back up, and your girl's got to study. So, if you're new here, this is Murder, Mystery, and History. My name's Christy. I want to talk about Richard Ramirez. For those of you who don't know who he is, he is the Night Stalker. He was very, very, very dangerous and very prolific in the 80s. Let's do it. So, there is a heavy trigger warning. There is sexual assault. There are children involved. I'm so sorry. Sorry. I have some really good tea. So, in total, Richard Ramirez has a long rap sheet. He was convicted of 13 murders, 11 sexual assaults, and 14 burglaries. He was sentenced to execution in the state of California, but cancer killed him first. Think about that. He's sentenced to die by execution and cancer kills him first. Alright, so let's talk about Richard Ramirez's childhood. There is a theory that is floating around. Was he a born sociopath? Or was he created? And I think a theory like that holds a lot of weight because there are some aspects to the story of the Night Stalker where it definitely helped push him along towards the path that he ended up on. So he was born in El Paso, Texas. His father, Julian, was a notoriously abusive alcoholic and Richard Ramirez often escaped to sleep in the cemetery to avoid his father. Now, if you see somebody in a cemetery, they're not a serial killer. We just like peace and quiet. Just want you all to know that. The biggest influence of his life would be his cousin Miguel. And Richard started drinking around 10 and smoking marijuana. And he and Miguel actually bonded over the use of illicit drugs and alcohol. The difference is, Miguel was a green beret combat veteran of Vietnam and he would often tell Richard stories about Vietnam and he would have been 12 when he would when Miguel would teach him how to stealthily kill somebody like a military skill like that the thing is and this is like in itself is so disturbing to me and I don't know why the rest of Miguel's part in this story even plays out, but as mentioned before, Miguel was a combat veteran of Vietnam. He would show Richard these pictures of Vietnamese women and Viet Cong rebels that he raped and killed. Like, he had these pictures of before, during, and after. And this is like beyond disturbing to me. Like, here, watch me Take a picture of me as I tie this woman up. Take a picture of me assaulting her. Take a picture of her head off. And I'm just holding it because I just chopped it off because I'm a sociopath. And like the thing that is so unfathomable to me is why would you show these pictures to a 12 year old? And Richard had often stated this, this never 
fazed him in the least it fascinated him and there are cases of men grooming heirs like older men who are serial killers grooming an heir to finish what they started and i can't help but think about is this what happened with miguel and richard the thing is richard went farther than miguel did miguel only did this in a country that he he claimed were war crimes that's it, it, the whole thing is like so disturbing to me when richard was around 13 he witnessed miguel and his wife in a fight the difference is he watched miguel shoot his wife point blank in the face killing her and richard was never faced by this it fascinated him so this was in 1973 and after the the murder he kind of became withdrawn and sullen and he ended up moving in with his sister and her husband roberto now roberto was an obsessive peeping tom and peeping toms are generally men or women watching someone through a window depending on their activity and this is a form of stalking Roberto would encourage Richard to join him on his little peeping Tom night walks. And it was around this time that Richard started using LSD and exploring Satanism. And at this time, Miguel was found not guilty of shooting his wife in the face by reason of insanity, of apparent PTSD from Vietnam. I know what you're thinking, like, the, that was such a cop-out, and I think it was. If you have these pictures of you raping and killing women, and you're trying to tell a court that you shot your wife in the face because of PTSD? I don't think so. I don't think so, sir. You are a liar. He was sentenced to four years in the Texas State Mental Hospital, and upon his release, Miguel continued on influencing Richard. It's noted that Miguel would often join Richard and Roberto on their nighttime peeping walks. Now, Richard began to merge his sexual fantasies with violence. He enjoyed forceful bondage and rape. While he, still, while he was still in school, he would take a job at a local hospital, and using his passkey, he would rob guests. It was noted that Richard had molested two children in an elevator, but was never prosecuted. He attempted to rape a woman in her hotel room. Her husband got back in the nick of time, and beat the ever-living shit out of Ramirez. We love, we stand a good king around here. We love a good king, and that's what this husband was. Charges were dropped when the pair refused to return to the state to testify against Ramirez. Now, Ramirez left school in the ninth grade, and at age 22, moved to California. This is where the rise of the Night Stalker begun. In 1984, these are... In 1984, Ramirez lured, lured a nine-year-old Chinese-American girl by the name of Mei Ling into the basement of his apartment building. He raped, strangled, and murdered this little girl. He beat her body and stabbed the body so violently. He hung her partially nude body off a pipe and used the shirt she was wearing to hang her body. This killing was the first killing, but it wasn't identified as that until DNA much later on. Following this, he murdered a 79-year-old woman 
she was stabbed so violently her head was nearly decapitated. That takes a lot of force to decapitate a body, but it also takes a lot of force by stabbing. You have to think about how hard he was stabbing the head. It's bizarre. It's disturbing. It, like, bizarre and disturbing. So, this murder would set a pattern for him in terms of what his MO would be and the outcome. And he would consistently rob his victims to support his cocaine habit. It's interesting to note for me that he left a thumbprint at the scene that was bloody. Following this, at the beginning of 1985, Ramirez attacked 22-year-old Maria, Maria Hernandez with a 22 caliber gun. She survived this attack, and I mean by sheer luck. When she, when he, when Ramirez had shot this woman, she put her hands up, and her keys were in her hands. So she's protecting her face, trying not to get shot in the face. The bullet ricocheted off her keys, and she survived. So she played dead until Ramirez left, luckily for her. Her roommate was shot point-blank in the face and died immediately. Now, within an, ear, an hour of this happening, Richard pulled 30-year-old Veronica Yu out of her car and shot her twice. She died later at the hospital. Now, the witness description of Ramirez was he had curly black hair, wide-spaced rotting teeth, and bulging eyes. And the thing is, the teeth, this guy lived off of candy and pop. That's all he ate. There wasn't a vegetable. There wasn't any meat. Like, it was soda, chips, and candy. He lived out of vending machines. He loved candy. And his teeth were rotting and falling out of his skull. It was disgusting. I don't know if anybody can imagine that, but that's disgusting. So... March 20... The, the next couple of... Um, murder... Well, all the, the next couple of murders all happened in 1985. So... I'm not going to go with, like, March 25th, March 27th. You know, that's just... Let's, let's just say in, you know, beginning. So, in March of 1985, Ramirez entered a home he had robbed earlier. He killed Jar Charles Zazara with a headshot. This woke Charles's wife, Maxina. Ramirez beat her, tied her up, demanding valuables, while he ransacked the room. Maxine escaped her bonds and retrieved a shotgun. Unluckily, though, the shotgun was not loaded. She was shot three times. Ramirez mutilated her body and removed her eyes. He kept her eyes in his, ho in his apartment. He left footprints at the scene aside from the bullets, and this would be the only evidence the police had on him. It was at this time, the police noticed that a serial killer had been born and was hunting. In May of 1985, Ramirez went to Monterey Park. He entered the home of Bill and Lillian Doy, shooting Bill in the face, beating him, and tied up Lillian and raped her and ransacked the home. Bill died in the hospital. Lillian survived. End of May, 1985. Ramirez drove to Monrova, stopping at the home of Mabel Bell, 83, and her disabled sister, Florence Lang, 81. Ramirez bound Lang in her, in her bedroom, bludgeoned Bell, finally shocking her with electrical cords. He went on to rape the elderly woman. 
later using lipstick to draw satanic pentagrams on her thighs. Both women were found alive, but comatose. Mabel Bell died in hospital. Richard drove to Burbank and snuck into the home of Carol Kyle, shared with her 11-year-old son. He tied both up after being told where the valuables were, unfortunately. He released Carol, only to rape her more than once. Interestingly enough, he told her not to look at him, and if she did, he would cut out her eyes. He fled, out, he fled the scene after this. July of 1985, he drove to Arcadia with a stolen car, randomly selecting Mary Louise Cannon, 75, bludgeoned her into unconsciousness with a lamp, stabbed her to death using a butcher knife. July 1985, sneaking into a home in the Sierra Madre and bludgeoning 16-year-old Whitney Bennett with a tire iron. Tire iron, pardon me. He strangled the young girl and he started to see electrical sparks and became afraid Jesus was coming to intervene. He fled the scene. While Whitney survived, she needed 478 stitches to close the gaping hole in her skull. 478. That's, I can't even fathom that many stitches. That's unbelievable. Like, we're talking layers of skin. Unreal. July 1985. Ramirez purchased a machete. He went on to steal a Toyota to Glendale, California. He killed Leela Needing and her husband Maxon, hacking them both to death with a machete. Before hacking them both to death, he shot them with his 22 caliber gun. He went on to rob the household. At 4.15 a.m., he broke into the Kovanath family, killing Chanarong, pardon me if I'm mispronouncing anything, in the head with a .25 caliber gun. He repeatedly raped and beat some kid, Kovanath. He tied the couple's child and beat some kid, demanding to know where the valuables were, and demanded she swear to Satan she wasn't lying to him. August 1985. Ramirez drove to Diamond Bar, California in another stolen vehicle. He entered the Abawath residence, killing Elias with the husband with his .25 caliber semi-automatic gun. He handcuffed and beat Sakina after demanding to know where her valuables were starting to brutally rape her and demanding she swear on Satan she wouldn't scream. During this, her three-year-old woke up and walked into the room. Ramirez tied the child up and continued his rape. Mother and son survived, physically. August 1985, he entered the Pan residence, killing Peter Pan with a .25 caliber gun, raping the wife Barbara. He shot Barbara and left her for dead, using her lipstick to write Jack the Knife on the wall. He left a shoe print at the scene. And the interesting thing is his shoes were not popular or common at the time. There were like five people who bought them. Like, I'm not even kidding you. The police actually contacted the manufacturer of the shoe known as Aviva. And they were actually able to locate how many people bought a pair in size 11 and a half, which is Richard's size. And only six of them existed. So, but the interesting thing is, only one pair was shipped to California, 
in a televised press conference, which Ramirez watched, this was said. The information that was leaked from that press conference set police in a rage. With good reason, this gave Richard time to hide the evidence. He dropped his 11 and a half size shoes over a bridge that night and left for LA in two to three days. Now, Richard traveled in a stolen orange Toyota that he stopped at the home of James Romero Jr. Intending on his usual MO, he was stopped. The 13-year-old son was up and woke his parents, thinking there was a prowler outside. Ramirez fled. This act alone saved everyone's life that night, I'm, I'm fairly sure. Moving farther, Richard Ramirez broke into the house of Bill Carnes and his fiancée, Inez Erickson. He shot Carnes three times in the head. Further, he beat Inez and told her he was the Night Stalker and forced her to swear to love Satan. He beat her with his fists and bound her with neckties. After stealing what he could, he raped Inez violently. As he left, Ramirez told Inez to let the police know the Night Stalker was there. Both Bill Carnes and Inez survived that night. Medically speaking, Bill had to have two-thirds two out of three bullets, pardon me, removed from his face. So I know what you're asking yourself. What the hell? Like, this is a lot. Like, how do police not catch this guy? So, thank Inez. Inez Erickson gave such a detailed description. The car he stole, he left a single fingerprint and he was able to be identified that way. A mug shot from prior arrests was released. He was finally identified as Richard Ramirez. And the interesting thing is at a press conference later that day, police stated, we know who you are. Soon, everyone else will. There will be no place you can hide. And Ramirez was completely unaware he was identified. Like, had no idea. He was walking past a news rack, and he was horrified to see his face on the front page and he was walking by a place called the Cecil Hotel. We'll talk about the Cecil Hotel, not today. It deserves its own episode. That's a real mystery. And he was actually apprehended by a group of citizens. I'm not even kidding. Because, And they had held him down until police arrived. And what was interesting is he walked past um, some Spanish ladies. Spanish, yeah, I think they're Spanish, and they they were saying in whatever um, Spanish dialect that they were speaking, they were calling him the attacker or the killer, and this is when he looked on the um, news rack and he got, well, he saw what happened. Anyway, so he was held by a group of enraged citizens until the police arrived, and it is a very real possibility that the list of the victims that I have given, that the police have, isn't even the full list of them because Richard would brag to other inmates he had killed more than 20 people this has yet to be proven so when he went to trial on July 22nd 1988 his first appearance he lifted his hand and a pentagram was drawn and he yelled hail Satan and it was actually noted that Richard planned to smuggle a gun in and kill a prosecutor a metal detector was installed that very day, or the next day. When Richard was sentenced to death, he is remarked to have said, Big deal, death was always part of the territory. 
see you in Disneyland. This was one of the most expensive trials in U.S. history. Just because everything that had gone through, aside from other notorious cases like O.J. Simpson, this was the most expensive trial. And it's crazy to me to think about that because, well, if you've seen any clips of the O.J. trial, that's not a, a verdict for anyone. And by that, I mean there are a lot of different opinions. It was a very interesting trial. Now, execution didn't kill Ramirez. Cancer did. He was on death row for 23 years. 23 years. The general estimate is that had Ramirez survived, he would have been in his 70s before he was executed. His 70s. Now, was Richard Ramirez a born sociopath or created one? That theory holds so much weight because a lot of the things that we've talked about tonight would point to he was created, but it's hard to say when you talk about the influence Miguel had on him. Like I mentioned earlier, was this a case of an older man grooming the heir to his work? Or was Miguel just proud of what he did? It's interesting to me that that theory, out of all the other theories, is the one that I remember the most. Now, Richard was married a couple of times in prison. His first wife, whose name I absolutely forget at this moment, had stood by him through all of these crimes. But as soon as it came out that nine-year-old Mei Ling was his first victim, she left. She decided she did not want to be part of this marriage anymore. And for me, I'm like, he's on trial for being a serial killer who violently rapes and murders. But that was okay. It's, it's a hard case to hear. It's a hard case to talk about because there's so much that he did and I don't think we have a full list of victims. But the only person who knows how many victims there were is dead now. And if we're talking about it, why was execution stayed for over 23 years? Dude was on death row for 23 years. For the thing he bludgeoned women, he raped women, he assaulted children. But let's keep him on death row. That's an opinion that I have, and it's certainly my opinion. But I don't, I don't understand the logic of keeping somebody on death row for twenty-three years before before execution. And again, that's an opinion, and that's certainly mine. So, that's kind of the story of Richard Ramirez. If you think I've missed something, I would love to hear it. If there's a mystery you want me to, to talk about, let's do it. If there's a part of history that you want everybody to know, if there's some mythology you think that people should know, I want to hear it. I want to do the research. You hit me up. 
If you have any feedback, of course, as well, you can always contact me at murder, mystery, and history at gmail.com. And before we go, I just want to let everybody know where you can find the podcast to share with your friends. The best praise I can ever get is if you share this podcast. So, you can follow me on Anchor, Breaker, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Radio Public, and Spotify. I also looked on my phone the other day and saw that you can also follow me on CastBox. I noticed that the other day. So, again, you can follow me on Anchor, Breaker, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Radio Public, Spotify, and CastBox. So, the best praise I can ever get is if you share the podcast. And again, if there's any type of mystery, murder, or history you want me to get into, I would love it. Now, until we meet again. Thank you.